Hello. Welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen, and today with us we have Greg Amon from The Athletic. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to do this today. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, we'll just start with uh, how about you walk us through your journey through sports media from when you first realized that this was something that you wanted to do to where you are now covering the Bucks for The Athletic. Yeah, um, really started in high school. Uh, went to high school in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, the grill, the, the root root of it, I guess, is uh, is baseball, football cards. Did a lot of that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the local paper had a uh, weekly sports card column, and I wrote to the guy and told him I could do a better job with it than the guy that was doing <laughs> it. I was I was like 15 at the time, and it's like, well, we can't do that, but we'd love to have you help out. Uh, so I clerked. This was the Raleigh News and Observer, mm-hmm. and uh, clerked there. Uh, wrote a fair amount in high school and in college. Wrote a ton. I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville. Uh, wrote a ton for the student newspaper there, the Independent Florida Alligator. Mm-hmm. And uh, cool thing about Gainesville is there's a lot of teams that want to cover the Gators, not necessarily a lot that want to have full-time writers in Gainesville. So they use correspondents. They use college kids to cover the team on a daily mm-hmm. basis. So I uh, got to write for the Orlando Sentinel, the Palm Beach Post, and the Florida Times Union, and the St. Petersburg Times. Uh, which is where I end up going. Um, my first job out of college, I went to uh, to CNN in Atlanta and wrote for CNN Sports Illustrated. Uh, when they first started, they launched their website in 1997. Oh, okay. uh, so CNNSI.com was my first full-time job. Uh, spent a year as their NFL producer and then um, went back to the what was then the St. Petersburg Times um, and wrote, wrote for them for 19 years. Um, covered high schools for five years, covered uh, the University of South Florida for nine years, and then the last five years uh, covering the box before I switched over to the athletic in uh, the fall of 2018. Mm. Oh, that's, you've been uh, in it from the start there. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Lifer, as they say. Oh, absolutely. So uh, one of the questions I like asking guys like you who've been doing this for a very long time is the value of covering high school sports relatively early on in your journalism career. And just about everybody I talk to really looks back on that time fondly as a formative period in their journalistic career. Do you feel the same way about your time covering high schools? Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it, it's it's neat in that those jobs don't exist very much anymore. When I came on to the Times, we had 13 high school writers, uh, wow. seven full-time and six part-time. Um, I, was, uh, I was one of two writers covering a county with three high schools. So the coverage was almost as thorough as you'd get at like a high school student paper. Mm. Um, so three high schools between the two of us and did that for, for the first two and a half years I was at the Times. Um, so it teaches you to be able to cover a little bit of everything. The nice thing about preps um, is that you cover football and then you cover basketball and you're covering baseball and softball in the spring. Uh, you get to go cover track meets, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of everything. So it gives you a, a good depth to the number of sports uh, that you know and know well. Um, you're, you're talking to people that um, are excited to have coverage. Um, so you can find really good stories and usually get people um, to talk at length about them. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in regionals, we wrote a ton of stories. So you had a uh, a four-column page, not a six-column page, five days a week that you were filling um, every day, again, from three high schools. So you learn to write uh, quickly. You learn to write uh, with a certain amount of volume. But you also, you know, as you move up the ladder, you kind of mm-hmm. can ratchet up the, the newsworthiness of what you write. And eventually it's, it's more compelling stuff as you go. But, yeah, um, lots of time in preps and, and remember it fondly. Yeah, absolutely. And – I mean, you worked at the Sentinel there for quite a long time. What was it like making the trans? I mean, 19 years, you know, I can't even imagine. 
what was it like making that transition to the athletic after being in one spot for so long? Yeah, I was at the Times um, for 19 sorry, years. My apologies. And, no, it's okay. It, um, it was tough. I mean, you know, you, you go to a paper for 19 years, you, you fully expect you might be there the rest of your life. Mm. Um, and it's a tough time for the newspaper business right now. Um, you know, it, yep. it has been and continues to be. Um, and it's no less sad to see that when you've left that part of the business. Um, but no, had a great time there. Um, you know, got to move up through the ranks. Um, covered USF as they were just getting really started as a mm. top-tier college football program in 07. They made it to number two in the country, um, which was fun, and then made it onto the Bucks beat in, in 13. They've been there since. So, yeah, lots of fond memories there, and, and a lot of my best friends here in Tampa are still times people. So, uh, no, I'm really hoping that they've had a rough time of late, but hoping mm. they can push through and, and continue doing great work there. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's a great publication. But one of the things that I was thinking about in your journey here is that – from my understanding, this Bucks beat is the first time that you've covered a professional team full time, right? Yeah, you know, I've done a decent amount on the side, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like when the Bucks. Um, I was really lucky, and like when the Bucks went to the Super Bowl in the 2002 season, mm-hmm. um, my wife was pregnant with our first and was in her third trimester with our first child, baby on the way, mm-hmm. and one of her NFL writers left in December, so I nope. had the good fortune to step in and fill in on the Bucks beat in the greatest month in team history um <laughs> so got to go uh got to cover a playoff game got to go to philadelphia for the nfc championship game uh and, and cover their win there and then got to spend a week in san diego covering the super bowl um so that was wild um to do that when i was still just a high school writer was really cool and then uh, you know filled in a ton on the bucks over the years but never uh, it would be years you cover five six games mm-hmm. um but just wasn't doing it full-time yeah, where it was that over when you were working that kind of part time stuff? Was that ever something that you really thought that you would want to do, or what did it just did the opportunity sort of just come across your yeah, table naturally? I, and I do think so. Um, it's like the NFL is something I've always known well. Um, I've got three kids at home, so I kind of like that. There's a limited amount of travel. Mm. Um, you're only gone for maybe ten or twelve trips during the year, and most of them aren't more than about forty eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart goes out to any baseball writers that can pull <laughs> off the the slog of travel with baseball um that's just a grind and the days are probably longer than what we have so um i think i would enjoy a baseball beat but i think it'd be away from my family probably a lot more than um, mm. i would want um but no so for me um the nfl just the schedule and the calendar of the nfl year is really ideal for me right now um i kind of looked at at hockey briefly um when i was coming over to the athletic and that's a little bit of a happy medium compared to baseball because you have half as many games. But, again, sometimes you're gone for a week or ten days at a time on mm-hmm. a West Coast trip or something like that. Um, I, I like the travel of covering pro sports, just getting to go around the country, see cities you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've checked off just about every NFL city now just in, in seven years in the league. There we go. But, uh, but hockey's cool because obviously there's some more cities you get to cover there mm-hmm. and, and going up into Canada and stuff like that. Uh, so that was intriguing, but as I was looking at it, it still comes down to maybe – uh, 20 nights on the road per year versus like 60 or 70 plus yeah, the playoffs. So it's sense. just a lot, lot of time away from home. Yeah, and so one of the uh, – I don't remember who I talked to. I think it was Greg Bell up in Seattle who covered – uh, college sports and then transition to pro sports. And he talked a lot about the difference in how he did his job just because the level of access and all that is so different when you go from amateur to professional sports. Did you find something similar when you made that transition to the Bucks beat? Yeah, I mean, you know, with high schools, you know, you can pretty much show up at a high school 
talk to anybody you want to whenever you want to. I probably could. I mean, I uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're grateful for the coverage, that kind of thing. I think there's there's usually a good personal relationship there. Mm-hmm. Colleges definitely got to a point where um, when I covered USF, you know, you still had pretty uh, firm control from mm-hmm. an athletic department in terms of what you could write, who you could talk to, when you could get people. Um, and it's probably gotten worse since I left even. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the NFL, there's, there's kind of specific rules, but for the most part, I, I like the level of access we get. You always want more. Um, but you get open locker room uh, three days a week. Um, they're not saying that everybody's going to be in there every day, mm-hmm. which is, you know, you kind of deal with that. There's some yeah. people that are more available than others. Um, but I find more often than not that they, they'll make available the people that you need for stories. So um, I might be fortunate with the bucks on that. Yeah, maybe. Um, but when I want to write, when I want to talk to an assistant for a story, it's pretty easy to get them. Mm. Um, there's always things they don't want to talk about. The owners aren't always available. It's not ideal, but I think it's, uh, it works for me with what I have right now. Yeah, certainly. And what was the biggest challenge that you faced when you made that transition? From colleges to the pros? Yeah, colleges to the pros. When You, just, you know, I you think it's just, out, yeah. just getting used to it more than anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, colleges was nice, and the colleges, um, you know, you definitely have a turnover. There's a constant churn of players, and every year there's a new wave mm-hmm. of, you know, freshmen that come in, and it, it kind of gives you um, a, a dose of, new stories and everything like that. And with the NFL, you have that to some extent too. Obviously they're drafting players and adding yeah. players, but um, there's definitely more of a history to what you write about. And it's, you're appreciating guys that have been in the room for eight or 10 years. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that I've been on the beat since 13. I think, I think there's only one, two, two players on the Bucks roster right now that have been on the on the team longer than I've been covering. Mm-hmm. And I'm obviously, I'm on my fourth head coach now. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I, I kind of, even though I've only been on the beat seven years, I, I've been around longer than most everybody I cover. So it's nice in that it gives you a, a functional amount of institutional knowledge just because you've been there for everybody from the start, except for one or two guys in the room. And that helps. Um, but I think just learning the NFL, the language of the mm-hmm. NFL, the economics of the NFL, the silly details of the CBA yeah. and the rules and contracts, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a language unto its own. Um, and once you get the hang of it, I, I still, for instance, basketball is probably the sport I've covered the least. Um, and I'm no better now than I was five years ago at understanding all the nuance of NBA salary cap exemptions and mid-level exceptions and all these things that come up every year when you hear about NBA trades. I, I don't get that, but I'm fluent in what the NFL does, which is probably equally as jargon and nuanced a language as what it is in basketball. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, that is, uh, yeah, sounds like things are going pretty well for you over there, though. You've been there seven years. You're liking it. You're having a good time? No, I like it. I mean, we like being in Tampa. My wife's a lifelong Floridian. Um, I've been here in Tampa since 99, so it's very much where we want to be. Um, obviously, the team hasn't had that much success um, since I've been on the beat. Um, but, you know, finished this past year at 7-9. and nine. I think there's uh, optimism for this fall in terms of what Bruce Arians can do. I don't mm-hmm. know if he knows who his quarterback is just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it's it's a good job, and, and it's certainly a, a good beat to work on. Lots of other people uh, covering the beat that I know well and, and enjoy going to work with every day. Oh, that's great to hear. And that provides us with a very natural transition to the next part of the interview here where we just talk about some Bucks news. How does that sound? Sure. All right, we'll start with the biggest one, the one that was uh, really making the rounds in the news last week. How much credence do you put into these Tom Brady to the Tampa Bay rumors? Yeah, we just did a whole big story. Uh, went up, I guess, yesterday, day before, trying to look at all the pros and cons and the mm. viability of it. And it's still um, 
remarkably slim odds, I think, yeah. overall. Um, I, I'm still not entirely sure he's going to leave in the first place. Mm. Um, and Tampa Bay is intriguing. Um, I, I think um, I mentioned the story. It's like I, I think if Tom Brady's going to leave, um, he has such a legacy with New England in terms of going to nine Super Bowls and winning six Super Bowls and having as strong a resume as any quarterback in NFL history. So to to alter your history by mm. spending it anywhere else, um, to me, you'd only do that if you really had a chance to win wherever you're going. Mm. So uh, I would be intrigued if he thinks Tampa Bay is such a place. Um, the, the spot that makes the most sense for me with him would be Tennessee, just because mm. he was a teammate of Mike Grable's in New England for eight years. They won three Super Bowls together. They threw touchdowns to each other in two of them. Um, I think he knows that Tennessee has a good team because they eliminated him in the playoffs this mm. past year. They made the AFC title game. Um, so I can see why that would be a place he would think he can go um, and do well. Their GM mm -hmm. has some Patriots roots as well. Mm -hmm. um, Tampa Bay, I think Bruce Arians is a great coach for quarterbacks. I don't think, obviously, he's never worked with anybody at the level uh, of Tom Brady, but he's worked with Peyton Manning, and he's worked with Ben Roethlisberger mm -hmm. um, and Andrew Luck. And I think all of those guys, if, if asked by Tom Brady, would speak very highly of what Arians could do uh, with a very polished quarterback like what Brady is at 42. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, if he wants better receivers to throw to, they've got two great ones here in Tampa, in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I don't know that that's a priority for him, but if, if he wants to make life easier, having those two guys to throw to is, is probably two better receivers than he's had in a while um, in New England. So, yeah, it's intriguing. Um, it'll all shake out here in the next two weeks. It still feels unlikely just yeah. because I, I look and I see – you know, Las Vegas, the Raiders are moving to a new city with a new stadium. They need to make a big splash. The Chargers are moving into their new stadium and need to do something to keep up with the Rams on the Los Angeles sports scene. They need to make a splash. So I can see why both of those would go out of their way to try and make a more compelling offer if he really were leaving to go somewhere else. Tampa Bay, it would definitely qualify as if he wants to go out there and show the world that he can win on his own. Mm -hmm and that his success wasn't merely in the shadow of Bill Belichick's success, I do think this would do that for him. Yeah. Um, it's still not necessarily an easy path. I mean, the, the Bucks haven't been to the playoffs since 2007 in mm -hmm. 13 years. So um, just him getting back to the playoffs would be a story here. He doesn't want to just go to the playoffs. He wants to yeah. win a Super Bowl. So I, I just it would be a big leap, even with Tom Brady at quarterback. Um, so that's why it still feels unlikely here. Mm, absolutely. That makes a uh... Makes a lot of sense. And then, I mean, if it's not Brady, then who do you think it's going to be? Is it going to be Winston? Is it going to be unnamed free agent quarterback? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's, that's the big question right now. Yeah. Um, and, and the way it's odd and that the, the Bucks haven't necessarily been that kind to Winston in the last two months since the season ended. Um, yeah. It's like Bruce Arians had been very um, protective of Jameis, deflective of any criticism of Jameis during the season. Um, would put specifically players on the record on blast is like, no, that interception is results of this guy mm -hmm. running his route too deep or that guy, you know, needs to be here and went out of his way really to kind of protect his quarterback. And then the season ended. Um, and it's been very different since then. Yeah. Um, he, he said that at times Winston was downright terrible um, and talked about the disappointment and that you don't go far in the playoffs when you're committing as many turnovers as they do. Um, we asked him at the combine last week, and this is getting down to kind of the crunch time for making these decisions. Mm -hmm. And he said that Winston was, quote, an unknown quantity for me still. Um, 
and and usually teams don't write checks for twenty five million dollars a year for unknown quantities. No, they do. So, um, so that I and mean, then again, there's some people that will tell you this is kind of gamesmanship and jockeying and trying to leverage things to get him to sign for less. I, I feel like the Bucks are still having to sell their own fans on Winston as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you do that by backing over him yeah. time and time again as they have for for the last two months. Um, so it's possible. I think I think what they've committed to is probably not tagging him here and the deadline is next Mm -hmm. week on the 12th um letting him go to free agency because that also gives them the time to figure out who their other options really are um again that that technically includes brady um it might include philip rivers Mm -hmm. it might include teddy bridgewater from the saints um we don't know who they love of those but i think there probably are enough um plan b contingencies where they're content first of all in what they might get elsewhere but also in thinking that there aren't a lot of other teams that should be bidding real high on Winston. There's just not that many jobs that are open um, that aren't teams that are in a position to maybe take a top draft pick and, and use, you know, if you think about Miami and you think about the Chargers, you think about the Bengals, they're probably all going to be leaning heavy on rookie quarterbacks this year. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you need to do that and, and sign a guy like Winston. So uh, they're kind of gambling that there might not be a big market for him in free agency. They, they could end up signing him, but, also, maybe for less than what they'd pay with a franchise tag or even a transition tag. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, these uh, unknown quantity after a year in the room with Arians is definitely saying something. And to your point of uh, the public, you know, public perception game of trying to get him to sign for less through statements in the media, Arians doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's going to play that game unless he feels like he absolutely has to. So right, or may- maybe like if he had just done that the day after the season, like hey, the gloves are off for a day. But then, you know, two months later, if you're still saying that stuff, after watching all the tape, after breaking things down, if, if you don't know who he is and you had a full season with him, that's not a real, real resounding endorsement there. Oh, to say, the, to say the least. But, you know, quarterback, that position will be figured out at some point. Obviously, it's the biggest number one item on the Bucks offseason list this season, but they still have the NFL draft. They still have the 14th pick. They got a lot of things they need to address. What prospects are you eyeing with that 14th overall pick for the Bucks there? Yeah, the, the first priority, I think, for them is, is offensive tackle. Um, their right tackle this past year uh, is a guy named DeMar Dotson, um, who's the longest-tenured player on the team. He's, he's been there longer than anybody else, but he's 34 now. Um, DeMar has exactly my birthday, 10 years younger than me, so he's like <laughs> the easiest player in the locker room for me to know how old he is because yeah. he's always exactly 10 years younger than me, um, which is fine for most occupations. It's not good for an offensive line. <laughs> um so I think most people think they'll go with the right tackle there. Um, and, and potentially, even though they're a right tackle now, could end up being a left tackle down the road. There's generally thought to be four offensive tackles that are really good at the top of this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on who's picking, sometimes you'll see all four of them gone even before the Bucks pick at 14. Um, and if that's the case, if all four of those are gone, um, I think they could go in a different direction. Um, I think they could definitely help their defense. Um, the, there's a outside linebacker from LSU named uh, – Caleb on chase on who would be an excellent pick for them. There's a D tackle from South Carolina and Javon Kinlaw um, who would be a big help there. We don't know which of their parts in their front seven are going to be back in free agency. So the, the needs and the, uh, the holes to fill there could change really in the next two weeks. Um, but like I said, my first guess at 14 is that they take an offensive lineman and absent that, I think they probably help their defensive front seven. Yeah. I got to protect whoever it is back there, regardless of what the name <laughs> right. is. And then uh, last question for on the Bucks. Chris Godwin had a insane season last year, huge breakout year. What can we expect 
this upcoming year now that nobody's surprised by him? Yeah, probably more of the same. I mean, Godwin um, put up great numbers and, and didn't even get to play the last two games as a result of injury. Mm-hmm. So um, had a Pro Bowl season. He's a guy who's who's been on the rise since they got him. Um, had a really quiet first half of his rookie year and then just took off uh, like a bullet and was great for the last half of his rookie year. Got his first touchdown on literally the last throw of his rookie year uh, for a game-winning touchdown. And then, uh, you know, his second year, everyone was wondering, like, could he possibly outperform Deshaun Jackson or Adam Humphreys and and really outperform both? So this past year, to see him, you know, I think he was something of a fantasy favorite going into last year, but I don't think people respected him at the league-wide level. Yeah. Um, that he's earned now so yeah just great player does everything right uh good size good hands good route running good after the catch probably more so than mike evans is um but those two complement each other really well it's hard to pay two receivers elite money on the same team um i think there's maybe six nfl teams that are paying guys more than 10 million dollars each right now um but it looks like they're next i mean it's one of those where you know godwin is not a free agent until next year but he's eligible for an extension now so I get the sense that if they don't have to spend all of their money um, in free agency this spring, you could very well see him extended. It, it won't be cheap. Um, I had floated the idea that uh, maybe $12 million a year with three years guaranteed could get him. And was that was like the one thing that I heard was, no, he's not going to be that cheap. Mm-hmm. It'll be more like uh, like 14 or $15 million a year, which is great. Um, I mean, Chris, Mike Evans is, is already making uh, about $16 million a year as their number one receiver. So, like I said, it's hard to pay two guys that well, but if you think about how much the passing game uh, is an important part of, of Bruce Arians and his downfield passing with that game, um, you can understand why they might pay to keep him around for a couple of years. Yeah, especially with uh, Evans. Is, I mean, I don't know how much better Godwin is, but Evans has a lot of struggles with injuries and what have you. So Godwin seems a little bit more reliable as far as that goes, and maybe he'll be worth that kind of money, but we'll see. Yeah, good kid, too. Does everything right. Perfect attitude. He's mature well beyond his years. Um, we did a story on him midseason and that he uh, does a lot with rescue dogs. It's like he had a charity thing this year where every catch he made, um, you, you could donate, and it would be a donation based on every catch he made um, that would go towards animal rescue centers and finding homes mm-hmm. for dogs and those kind of things. So it's something that means a lot to him. Um, he's just launched his foundation with his uh, girlfriend here in the last year. Uh, but neat off the field too. Good guy, easy yep. to like. Yeah, great guy. All right, on to the last part of the interview here. A little quick hitter, more fun, more on the fun side. How does that sound? Sure. What is your favorite place to eat in Tampa? Oh gosh, my favorite place to eat in Tampa. I know it's a and tough I one. But... Tell the... No, no, I tell you, there are good options, and, and with sports writers, there's lots of people coming in town and mm. references. Uh, this place called the Columbia Restaurant that I think is amazingly good. Uh, it's kind of a Spanish style food. Uh, they do a little Cuban as well, but. Uh, been in, in Tampa for ages. Uh, there's a location in the Ybor City section of Tampa. Uh, their food is amazing. It's like I probably go there once or twice a year, but it's if you get to pick uh, dinner for your birthday, it's usually at Columbia. Get the paella, Valenciana. It's amazing. Uh, if you want to get the Marilyn and Joe Salteado, that's also really good. Their salad, they have a salad called the 1905 salad that's like the best salad I know anywhere. Um, yeah, great food, amazing. We actually were just there. I was a judge for APSE, which is the Sports Editors Association, and they had their annual judging um, like three weeks ago. Mm. And one night they had dinner at the uh, Columbia. So I was like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'll go. I'll go along. That's fine. Um, they do uh, live flamenco dancing. They have like a musical performance every night, um, All right. which is neat as well. So no, great food. Um, if you're in the Tampa airport, they have one in the airport that is just about a full menu. Mm. 
Uh, so even if you're only in Tampa, like between flights, if you're in the right <laughs> terminal, you can, you can still get good food there too. Yeah, that's outstanding. You know, I asked that question to everybody, and you were the first person to give me a full menu breakdown. So I'm really looking forward oh, yeah. to the next I'll time I'm in Tampa. Order. I'm looking up this podcast. It's going to be – I'll probably get both of those things, you know, my air on the side of college. Oh, yeah, and make absolutely. Sure I don't no, miss if if you're in Tampa, that's where you should go and, and call me and see if I'll go with you. <laughs> I will definitely do just that. Uh, you mentioned you've made your way around the NFL at this point over the last seven or so years on the beat. Uh, what is your favorite NFL stadium for any reason at all? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I've got a couple that I like. Um, it's like I haven't been, uh, haven't been to Denver yet. I'll do that this fall. Um, I haven't been to Green Bay yet. I, I just missed their trip to Green Bay in '16 when the Bucks went. So there's a couple um, I can't weigh in on yet. And Green Bay is is one that a lot of people put up high on the list for sure. Um, really enjoyed Seattle the two times I've been there. Uh, just super loud, really cool experience. Um, I like Seattle as a as a road city to visit. Um, Arrowhead I was there for. That was a really cool experience, mm-hmm. just as, as a more old-school stadium there. Um, what else have I been to that I really liked? Um, the newer stadiums are, are really cool in themselves. Atlanta, Minnesota, your, your brand-new stadiums. I'm not that big on the Dallas Stadium. Um, it's cool, and the video board is so ridiculously huge and high-def that you're, you have to stop yourself from watching the video board yeah. instead of the game directly <laughs> underneath it. Um, Atlanta with the Oculus in the top is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just you, you see with Atlanta and Minnesota what $2 billion gets you these days. Yeah. Um, and they're really strong. They think of everything. The, the way they look, the technology, the architecture, they're all really strong. Uh, we'll go, um, I won't go to Los Angeles to see the new stadium there, but I will go to see the stadium in Vegas. The Bucks play okay. the Raiders in Vegas this year. So excited to see Sweet. that. I, I always like the, uh, the inappropriate names that we come up with for stadiums. Oh, yeah. Um, like the Falcon Stadium, with the, it has like an Oculus that closes kind of like a camera lens at the mm-hmm. top, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that is, is affectionately known as the sphincter, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and the Vegas Stadium, apparently people are calling it the Roomba because it, oh, really? looks, <laughs> it looks like, like a black. <laughs> it, it's black and it's low and it's round. And I was just waiting for a, a corporate sponsorship to line up there because now I see it and that's all I think of is the Roomba. But <laughs> see, no, so looking good. forward to seeing uh, the Raiders Stadium this fall to check off a new one on the list. Yeah, that'll be really fun. And that's the kind of inside info I'm looking for here. You know, the Roomba, yes, that's the good stuff. Uh, who's This could be from your career covering the Bucks, or it could be from your many years in the journalism industry. Who is the your favorite person that you've ever interviewed? Um, favorite person that I've ever interviewed? You know, it's funny because I've had more years in my life as a writer now than I had as a fan before that. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the wow factor with, um, with meeting people wears off cause you're just yeah. trying to be, you know, professional and mm-hmm. all that. Uh, the bucks had buzz Aldrin in, which was really cool. Oh, the bucks super. had, um, I forget what the occasion was. They do a lot of military tributes with the bucks. Um, but they mentioned, Hey, by the way, uh, today's honorary guest is buzz Aldrin. You're like, wow. And it's great. And they gave him an <laughs> 11, sweet. they gave him a num- number 11 Jersey, which is really cool. Um, and we talked to him for like five minutes, and it's just neat. I mean, there's a dozen people that are talking, and you're asking questions. Like, this guy's been to the moon. Yeah. Um, and there's not many people you can talk to. Trust me, I mean, I, I've talked to all kinds of Hall of Famers and great players mm-hmm. and, and names you can drop, but it's just Buzz Aldrin. This guy's yeah. been on the moon. None of those Hall so, of Famers went to the moon. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty um, straightforward. <laughs> I, I'm from Philadelphia originally, so I very much grew up a Phillies fan. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, uh, my three favorite players growing up were Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlson, and Tug McGraw. Okay. Um, and it's like uh, I got to meet Tug McGraw when I was a kid. I took piano lessons with 
two of his kids, not Tim McGraw, who would be the one you'd want to have a musical connection to, <laughs> but his other two kids uh, had the same piano teacher. So I got his autograph when I was like six years old um, growing up in Philadelphia. And I hadn't met either of the other two. Steve Carlton's kind of gone off the deep end a little bit. Mm-hmm. So um, I've met him, but it wasn't that big a deal. But I did get to meet Mike Schmidt um, and get his autograph. He was uh, at a golf tournament here in Clearwater. They do a, a charity golf tournament every year. And he was there for the Pro-Am. So it was a really cool thing just to make an excuse to walk up and talk to the guy, um, ask him a couple questions, shake his hand, and then you can say you've talked to him. Um, so that, that was a big deal for me personally. It's not a huge name uh, globally, uh, but that was really cool that way for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what's something about this industry that you wish you knew back when you were just getting started out coming out of school there? Um, it's tricky. It's like nowadays, um, you'll do a lot of talking to kids in high schools and and giving advice. Um, and it's a tough business to be in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, um, it probably was better 25 years ago when I came out of school, uh, than it is now, just because the jobs aren't there like they used to. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of like the, the model right now for, for newspapers to kind of exist and continue, um, counts on there being almost no raises for their writers right now. So it's really hard because you, you have to get by on what you got by on last year a lot of times. Uh, so especially with families, that's hard. So um, I'm very happy that I do what I do. Um, it, it's tough in that, like, my son, uh, my oldest, is 17 now mm-hmm. and has always had a very good interest in sports and in writing, um, has even covered high school games for the Times now, which is cool. So he's mm-hmm. less past year probably covered – like 10 games he's a high school junior and he's already covering for the local paper All right, there we go. um so it's tricky because you you want to cultivate that and it's yeah. awesome when your kids want to do what you want to do um but you also want to try and steer him away from it at the same time um i always joke that if i were like a meth dealer it would be no different in terms of <laughs> hey there's lots of other things you can do kid um so no it's fun now i think he's he's probably drifting towards uh towards politics and speech writing and stuff like that. Uh, but he's 17. He's still got lots of times to decide. So well, no, it, it's, um, it's a tough decision, but uh, like I said, I, I love that I've done it. It's, it's mm. been what I've done my whole life. Um, but, uh, but like I said, it's, it's been a tough industry for the last 20 years for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's finally, what's something about your job, something about what you do that you feel like other people don't know or don't really understand? Yeah. I mean, I think the whole, it's funny. I mean, people, in general think it's like oh it's so cool you get to go for games for free Mm. uh when you're on the road your hotel is paid for that kind of stuff and that's i mean that's all true don't get me wrong i don't think people realize that it's not necessarily the most glamorous life in the world um it's not i mean sunday afternoon in an nfl stadium are awesome but that's 16 days out of 365 Mm. um and there's you know red eyes back and early morning flights to get back for monday press conferences and stuff like that um, I don't think people think of it as this amazingly glamorous job, but there's just a lot of hard things that go with it. Um, mm-hmm. Just days when you're waiting for callbacks and stuff like that. Um, but again, I, I like what I do. Um, I like the interaction we have with readers now, um, be it Twitter, email, uh, comments on our stories, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So like I said, there are certainly pros and cons to it, but, uh, but on the whole, I like it. Yeah, well, I've definitely gotten that takeaway, but that will uh, that will conclude the interview. Greg, thank you so much for coming on with your honest and insightful answers. It was really, really interesting. Thank you so much. Oh, no, thanks again. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely, and thank you, listener, for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next time. I am your host, Liam McEwen, signing off.